You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked on Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a longtime Marlins writer. And in this episode, I will be talking about the back end of the Marlins rotation because it seems like the fifth spot is up for grabs while many, including myself, have penciled in Trevor Rogers while the Four other spots have been more put in Sharpie with Eliezer Hernandez, Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, and Sandy Alcantara. I think you can put those in Sharpie, but that fifth spot is wide open, and I wanted to just kind of discuss the options and just give a little bit of a background as to why each guy has a case for it, what they have to do in spring training, who has more work cut out for them, who has less work cut out for them, and all of those fun things in between. Pitchers and catchers have reported spring training is underway. We saw some awesome interviews done by some of the Miami media, whether it was Fish Stripes or Craig Mish or all across the board, Jordan McPherson. So much to catch up on in terms of interviews, but it seems like the Marlins draft class was doing a great job of answering all the questions, being very personable, and I can speak on a personal basis that Zach McCambly and Kyle Nicholas are two awesome dudes. Had the chance to get to know them very well in the summer of 2019 in the Cape Cod League, and Had a chance to interview both of them if you want to check out those episodes. If you had not heard them from a few months back, go scroll back and I have an interview with both Kyle Nicholas and Zach McCambly, but also Fish Stripes just did an interview with McCambly as well. Go check that out because he is a very interesting interview and talks a lot about how he helped get his game across to the next level during the COVID time off and the COVID year. Both of those guys I'm incredibly high on. A little bit of bias in there because I got to see them pitch so frequently, but I also got to see them do some really good things in the case and both have explosive stuff that I think it's going to be interesting to see how they start off the year and where they start the year. But I'm assuming it's going to be an A ball. And I think as they start to dice guys up there, the real question is just going to be command for Nicholas and McCambly. Once they show that, I think they'll be ready to be in high A ball by midseason or a little bit later than that. So it should be fun to watch those guys climb. But we're going to be talking about the big league level in this episode and who's going to get that fifth spot. And I'll start with the favorite because for me, Trevor Rogers seems like the fairly obvious pick, but you never know. You know, if he struggles a little bit with the command, which is another question with him, we saw the command wane at times during his major league debut this past year. But we also saw much better swing and miss stuff than had been initially anticipated by most. And that was because of the adjustment that Rodgers made with his slider grip. And the slider became a much more reliable pitch for him. But where I actually saw the most impressive improvement was the fastball. He seemed to be getting a lot more spin on the fastball over 2,400 RPMs, which is above average. But also the deception he was able to generate. And it was really tough for left-handed hitters to hit his fastball. And he was able to locate it when he was on on both sides of the plate. He had good arm side and glove side command. I was really impressed with how difficult the fastball was to pick up for a lot of hitters and how he was able to use it for both lefties and righties. Because I think some of the question was, 
how is Rodgers going to be able to get righties out because we weren't sure quite how good the changeup was going to be, but he showed a pretty good feel for the changeup as well, especially against righties. Righties hit just a buck 82 against that changeup and he got a whiff rate over 30%. I think what else was really encouraging for me was when we look at the pitch distribution against right-handed hitters. He threw the fastball 50% of the time, changeup 22% of the time, then the slider 20% of the time. A really good distribution of those three pitches and all three pitches had a whiff percentage over 30%. 33% on the fastball, actually closer to 34%. 32% whiff rate on the changeup and 34% whiff rate on the slider. And mind you, that is against righties as a left-handed pitcher. He actually was not getting as much swing and miss on the fastball and slider on lefties, which I thought was somewhat surprising because on the eye test, it seemed like the lefties were very uncomfortable at times when he was locating the fastball. I think more so it was an issue with him locating against lefties versus righties. It seemed like he located a little bit better, but also he just had some bad BABIP luck against lefties more than righties, which I thought was interesting because the expected batting average for his fastball against lefties, 191. The expected batting average from his slider against lefties was 0.097. Ultimately, the sample size was just too small against left-handed hitters in what was only about 28 innings that he had thrown this past season. So it was somewhat of a skewed statistic from the left side. I think he's going to have much more dominant numbers against left-handed hitters. And when you look at the metrics across the board, you look at the ERA, which is the surface level stat, and it would imply that he didn't have a great debut in his seven starts, a 6-1-1 ERA. You're thinking, okay, wait, what was going wrong here? The whip was definitely high, 1-6-1 whip. But when you look across the advanced metrics, you can kind of understand where the only red flag for me was the walks because that's going to inflate the whip. Otherwise, I thought he was great. We look at the expected batting average. He was actually in the top 25% of the league. Just about every advanced metric, he's in the better third or better quarter of the league. Barrel percentage, 72nd percentile. Whiff percentage, 73rd percentile. Exit VLO, 68th percentile. Fastball spin, 83rd percentile, as I alluded to earlier. K percentage, 80th percentile. It goes on and on and on. That's why when you look at Rogers' FIP, it points more towards where he should have been ERA-wise, more in the mid-threes. And that's where I think he can be this coming season if the one caveat is if he can throw more strikes because being in the bottom third of the league in walk percentage is just not going to cut it. And that was a big reason why he was not able to go deeper into starts. Seven starts, he only threw 28 innings. Ultimately, when we look at all the options here, Dan Castano, who I'll get to in a moment, Nick Neidert as another potential option as well. When we look at them, it's pretty clear that Trevor Rogers, the former first round pick, and after what he showed last year, has the highest ceiling and biggest potential to be an impact at the back end of the rotation. Rogers ultimately has what it takes to be a middle of the rotation starter, a ceiling of a three starter, which I'm not sure you can say the same about Castano and Neidert, but I'm going to get into those two next now. And I'll start with Castano because he was a very pleasant surprise this past season where he had to get thrown into the fire because the Marlins were so desperate for arms and he was great a 3.03 ERA in six starts seven appearances 29 and two-thirds innings he only strikes out 12 but was able to still eat some innings I'm not totally sold and I don't think anybody is on 
Castano being able to replicate those numbers. When we talk about the metrics around Trevor Rogers, it's only fair to highlight some of the metrics around Dan Castano and they don't quite paint as pretty of a picture bottom 30% in exit velocity. He does not throw very hard at 89 miles per hour on the mound, so giving up a lot of hard contact while not really throwing hard. Bottom 20th to bottom 10th percentile in just about every other metric. If we're looking at XWOBA, expected slugging, whiff percentage just in the 9th percentile, expected batting average in the 6th percentile, so a lot of signs of potential regression and not a lot to be encouraged by in the metrics, but there are always guys that defy the metrics, and could Castano be that type of guy? Maybe. His arsenal does allow for him to be competitive against both lefties and righties because he's comfortable throwing four different pitches relatively frequently. He goes with the four-seamer. He also has a two-seamer and a or sinker, then the changeup and a slider, and he throws them to both sides of the plate, whether it's a lefty or a righty, but he seems to be much more comfortable throwing the slider to lefties where it's actually a great pitch against left-handed hitters. While Castano didn't get a ton of swing and miss on lefty-on-lefty sliders, he did get a lot of weak contact, and that was pretty much all he threw. He went fastball slider to the lefties, and the fastball got knocked around a bit, but the slider, which he actually threw a few times more against lefties, was a great pitch. 100 opponent batting average, and the expected batting average wasn't much better at 165. Got a lot of ground balls and got a lot of left-handed hitters out front. When we look at what he would throw to righties, that's where the changeup came in, and the fact that he had a good feel for the changeup was really big there because that was his go-to pitch off the fastball. Castano went to the changeup against righties 26% of the time and held opponents to a 211 batting average. Ultimately, I just don't know if the changeup and fastball are something that he can lean on enough against right-handed hitters. I really believe that when we look at Castano, he could have some success as a spot starter and then somebody that you bring in against lefties mostly because he seems to have more control of that slider and it seems to be a better pitch than the changeup. Also, the four-seam fastball just doesn't seem like a pitch he can totally count on as it's really just in the 89 range and it got knocked around pretty good. I mean, lefties crushed it. They hit 444 against it. They were 8 for 18 off of the fastball and then righties not quite as good against it because it worked off the changeup a little bit better but an expected batting average of 345 points towards a little bit of regression that could be imminent for Castano. When I look at him though he still seems like a big league pitcher. There's a role for him there as a middle reliever and spot starter when needed but for now I just don't see him being that rotation piece for the Marlins heading into the year. It seems like he's a good insurance policy that can fill in when needed and give you a competitive start, especially against a lineup that might be more left-handed heavy. Still a great guy to have. You can't have enough pitching depth and a guy that you can count on to throw strikes and compete out there when you have to go to your minor leagues or you have to go out of the bullpen and, and throw someone into the fire. He's somebody that you can rely on more than a prospect like Humberto Mejia, who did help hold his own too, but you would never want to be in a situation like that where you're bringing a guy in from A-ball. The fact that the Marlins have guys like Dan Castano is great because I would say that probably a few years ago, back when the Marlins had no pitching and it was all offense, Dan Castano would have been a godsend 
Remember Chris O'Grady? Castano is better than that guy, and the Marlins have that as now a seventh or potentially eighth starting pitching option and the spot starter if the guys ahead of him just aren't ready to get into the rotation yet. And I'm sure Castano will be making some starts and would fill into the bullpen if Detweiler goes down or Blyer goes down or something like that. I would like to see Castano throw the two-seamer sinker a little bit more and try to model himself after Blyer being more of a ground ball candidate and being somebody that gets guys to get themselves out, which he did a good job of, but I'd like to see a little bit more weak contact induced. I'm going to talk about Nick Neidert after the break and also about Eliezer Hernandez because I am not totally sold on this guy's rotation piece, as you know, but I want to just deliver some of the details about that. I still like Eliezer and there's still plenty that he can figure out to make himself a solid rotation piece because he does have the groundwork and the framework to be a good starting pitcher and he showed a lot of that this past year and I want to talk about those things he needs to do and things to look out for this coming year but what the contingency plan could be if there is some regression from him this coming season as well a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar who now has dark chocolate coconut and real brownie chunks as new flavors it doesn't get any better than that Built Bar just sends all three flavors to me in the mail and I would definitely say Real Brownie Chunks is my favorite as somebody who loves brownies. It tastes just like it. As I always say, Bilt Bar tastes just like a dessert. But these new three flavors might be even more so than any of the previous ones. And if you go to BiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On, you know it. You get 20% off your next order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code Locked On for 20% off of your next order. Also brought to you by our friends at RockAuto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, any make or model. You order it on the site, they ship it straight to your door. It's that easy. Rockauto.com is a family owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go with the people you can trust, and it's so much simpler than having to deal with the headache of that dealership or of that chain store on top of the fact that it's going to be more expensive too why not just get it shipped straight to your door and if you go to rockauto.com right locked on in there how did you hear about a section so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts that your car will ever need rockauto.com so let's get into nick neidert and eliezer hernandez because let's presume that Rodgers gets the fifth spot, which I would argue also that the Marlins really need to have one left-handed pitcher in this rotation, especially similar to what I've been saying about how the Marlins needed a good lefty out of the pen to stifle all of the good left-handed hitters in this division because there are some of the best left-handed hitters in all of baseball in this division. you got Freddie Freeman, you've got Juan Soto, you've got Bryce Harper, and that's just naming the best ones. There are so many left-handed hitters that rake in the NL East. You need to have a left-handed starting pitcher to just shake things up. That's why I would just argue against Nick Niter instead of Rodgers, and that's why I really lean towards Rodgers. But when we talk about Neidert as an option in the rotation, I think that ultimately if somebody goes down, he should be the first man up to step in. And if Rodgers struggles, then you ignore the lefty thing and you just go with the best arm and you go with Neidert in there too. Because I think there's a lot of things that go into Neidert being a very high floor option as a solid 
number four or number five starter in the big leagues. Ignore the numbers in AAA from 2019. Ignore all of that because he was coming off of a torn meniscus and he was really struggling with landing on that knee, which it was the landing leg. And he was struggling with just finding that comfort, trusting it. And imagine if you just don't have the comfort landing on your leg, you're feeling a little bit different with your release every single time. And that was the issue for him. As he got back to it and he went to the Arizona Fall League, he only walked two batters in over 25, 28 innings, something like that. So the command came back and that's a big key for him. But he has so many things going for him that it offsets the fact that he doesn't have the most elite stuff. We know how good the command can be, but also the deception. He hides the ball so well. He's able to make it very difficult to pick up what he's throwing. And the fact that his best out pitch is the changeup and he can mask it so well with the way he throws the ball. The fact that his fastball averages at around 92 is not as much of a concern because the fastball and the changeup are tunneled so well. And talk about how Ian Anderson tunnels really, really well with his fastball and changeup, and that's why he was so dominant this past season. I talk about that all the time on Locked On MLB Prospects, but that's similar to what Neidert could do as a surprise candidate. I'm not saying he's going to be able to do what Ian Anderson does on that level because Anderson's a taller guy that's more over the top, yet tunnels so well and gets the downward plane on the changeup. It's just disgusting. But Neidert can take advantage of that elite ability to tunnel and his slider is no slouch of a pitch either that will help him a lot more against righties because then the changeup is going to be that go-to pitch against lefties you pair the deception and the pitch mix and just the command all together and you have a guy that should really overperform his sheer stuff and it's not like his stuff is terrible at all it's pretty solid especially with the changeup the slider is average and the fastball is located well and is an above average pitch because of that location he seems like a surefire back end starter and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do this coming year still I lean towards Rodgers for the reasons that I said you need to have that lefty in there but there is a chance if Eliezer continues to be a two pitch guy that he struggles and that's where Neidert can slide in and I don't want Eliezer to struggle I hope he dominates and the Marlins are going to have to find a way to get innings for Nick Neidert. That would be a great problem. My concern is just that Eliezer is a two-pitch guy and there are not very many fastball slider guys that have had success as starters in the major leagues. There's guys who have had good seasons, similar to what Eliezer did this past year. There's guys who have had good flashes, but there's very, very few pitchers who have had sustainable success with two pitches, especially a fastball slider combination. Frankie Montes is a good example of that. He was so good just two seasons ago, then this past year really struggled, throws a fastball 70% of the time, the slider 25% of the time, and that's it. You can have good outings and you can have really good stretches as a two-pitch guy, but you're going to have to have those two pitches on. Imagine you don't have one of them working to the best of its ability. Now you just got one pitch and you got to just really locate and still mix in the pitch that you're struggling with and try to make the most of it. That's why we saw Eliezer Hernandez often give up a bunch of home runs when he was struggling prior to this past season. And also it was why he could not go deeper into starts. If you know a guy only has two pitches, you strike out the first time around or you see him again the second time around and you start to get a little bit more comfortable. By the third time around, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable after seeing a guy that only has two pitches. You're going to see both of those pitches at least a few times 
in your first two at-bats, no doubt, and you're going to get a lot more comfortable, and there's not much he can do to change it up. The big reason why Hernandez had a lot of success last year, and it was something that was incredibly encouraging, was the walk percentage just plummeting, meaning that he was much better with his command, and that needs to happen for somebody that only has two pitches. If Hernandez is able to even go to his change up 10 to 12% of the time, I would be much more confident in his ability to stick in the rotation. My issue overall is that Trevor Rogers is already a candidate to not go as deep into starts as he still tries to work on getting ahead of hitters and allowing himself to go deeper into starts. And then you have Hernandez as a guy who is almost yanked in the fifth inning every single start. And while in today's game, that seems to be okay for the most part, I just don't want to see those guys going back to back in the rotation. You're taxing the bullpen. You'd probably have to figure out a way to spread them out. Ultimately, if Hernandez can find the third pitch or be one of the unique guys, similar to what I was saying with Castano, some of the guys that defy the norms, maybe he can be that type of pitcher that defies the norms and is able to work off the two pitches. The thing that does work in his favor is that he's able to manipulate the slider and that can somewhat turn it into a third pitch, I guess, as sometimes it's a harder and more of a cutter pitch. Sometimes it's more of a sweeping slider and ultimately it is a fantastic pitch. It is a wonderful pitch. Opponents hit just 114 against it. 169 opponent expected batting average and he had a 40% whiff rate on that pitch. The thing is Hernandez has a really high floor too as a solid reliever. The fastball is only at 91 miles per hour. If he goes into the bullpen and throws just one to two innings at a time, I assume he'd be closer to 93, 94 potentially going more max effort. The slider is a very good back end reliever type of slider and that would help the Marlins bullpen immensely if night is pitching really well, and Eliezer, even if he's just pitching okay, that could be an interesting option. Make your bullpen better. Hernandez could be a back-end guy with the stuff that he has with those two pitches, and then Neidert could slide in and be more of a candidate that could be just a classic starting pitcher that can go deeper into games. Until Hernandez struggles, though, he's a sure thing, of course, to be in that fourth spot in the rotation. It's just I want to somewhat game plan a little bit because I think that there is some imminent regression for Hernandez. I just don't see how it's sustainable to throw a fastball 60% of the time, a slider the rest, and have consistent success when you're facing lineups in the NL East that are loaded and are going to make adjustments to you. That's just not really a recipe for success, and I just wonder how that is going to work for him this coming year. With Neidert, he's a little bit more deceptive, has a little bit more of a unique unique mix while he doesn't have the plus out pitch like Eliezer has with the slider. Neidert screams starting pitcher a little bit more as somebody that can go deeper into starts as I said earlier. Still it's going to be fun to watch. I mean when's the last time the Marlins have had options in the rotation an open competition in the rotation where you can make a case for multiple guys. Braxton Garrett could even make a case too. Right now, I would like to see Garrett get a little bit more velo on the fastball. He's more in the 89 range from this past season when we saw him. The curveball was a plus pitch though, and I thought that he battled pretty well. He looked pretty good overall in his two starts, and he is a dark horse to be able to crack this rotation too. While Castano and Garrett flash similar velos, you can hope that Garrett's going to recapture a little bit more velocity. While Castano, that's probably more of a pipe dream, also, Garrett has that plus breaking ball, and Castano doesn't have that plus out pitch. So don't sleep on Braxton Garrett either as a potential option, and again, just another insurance guy that can very much 
give you much more comfort in knowing that you have somebody else that you can plug in there in an emergency, though I would like to see Braxton Garrett throw a little bit more in double A, get some more innings under his belt, find that third pitch that he can mix in more frequently with the changeup, and maybe get a little bit more velo as for him we want to see him more in the 91 to 93 range. That was a scouting report around the draft. That is where he usually was sitting before. And we'll see if it was just a weird COVID year for him and he just was not fully in the swing of things. We'll see this coming year. That's something to keep your eye on too is the velocity for Braxton Garrett. But the breaking ball is always going to be there. So plenty of options for the fish. I hope Eliezer is able to either find that third pitch or just find a way to be effective with the two. And then Neidert, he's going to get his crack in spring training. Training. And if Rogers struggles, that's going to be frustrating, but at least you know that you have some other options to throw out there and see how things go. So not as much pressure on Marlins fans to see success out of Trevor Rogers right away, though I think it would be much more beneficial to have that lefty with a higher ceiling or the highest ceiling of all these options put it together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to start talking about some previews for prospects as well, especially this recent draft class, where I think they're going to be to start the year and what we can expect from them. Also, potentially a breakout prospects for the Marlins upcoming season, an episode on that as well, as it'll be fun to start leading into this spring training and start talking about actual ball games being played and the takeaways from that. So I cannot wait to start doing that very, very soon. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you on Monday.